This podcast may contain explicit language. This is the Dynasty Download Podcast. Welcome to the Dynasty Download, the show where we prove Dynasty League fantasy is the best form there is. I'm Tom Duncan. 2018 champ, Ethan Hamilton. Few housekeeping notes. If you'd like to contact the show, please, again, write us at DynastyDownload10 at gmail.com. Again, that's DynastyDownload10 at gmail.com. Wonderful. Let's move forward. We are going to be covering the NFL playoffs, so we are not simply stopping at the end of your fantasy season. We are going to be continuing up through and including the Super Bowl, and that will be the cap to our season one. Uh, so just make sure that uh, you stay on this feed for all of our thoughts as we continue through uh, to that point this year. All right, quick trade roundup. It was the trade deadline in our league. It is not necessarily for everyone else, so if you have some last-minute trade questions, certainly give us a buzz on that one. We will be happy to talk about it, especially because we have another show this week on the air. So a couple of days from now, if you get us your trade valuations, we will be glad to talk about it and get it out so that you have it in before your trade deadline. I think the ESPN default uh, deadline is next week, actually, which seems kind of late. It, it's I, kind of an odd one. but I think it's the 25th, yeah. All right. And maybe I should consider as the uh, commissioner to move back uh, our lead trade deadline. I didn't this year, but I think in future years, maybe... I'm not sure why I had it where I did, but it's something to think about. The only major trade that we did have, though, right before the deadline, and this was pretty much right before the deadline, uh, we did have a couple of offers. There were some feelers out. Uh, There were a couple of deals very close for Travis Kelsey, but didn't quite work out. Uh, Miles Sanders for Jonathan Taylor, a first and a second round pick uh, packaged with Jonathan Taylor for a second and a seventh packaged with Miles Sanders. So what was the thinking going into this trade since you were one of the principals involved? Yeah, I gave up uh, Jonathan Taylor in the first and the second. Um, yeah, I, it's it's a lot. I, I'm not even going to lie. I, I feel like I gave up a lot. But for me, and I've talked about it a million times on here and then you privately, I'm looking to win right now. Um, the team that I have is poised for a good little breakout and with the running back situation that I have with Zeke not having as good of a year with all the injuries that they're dealing with and with Jonathan Taylor, not living up to the expectations that everybody had for him, um, as a, as, as a rookie, I just think that Miles Sanders can give me that edge. Jonathan Taylor, I still think he's going to be a really, really good football player. It's just, he's not working out for me this year. So I had to get rid of him because I'm going for the whole thing this year. And I certainly understand it from that perspective. I think it's similar. You and I were talking about a completely different subject, but when you have that opportunity and you have a championship window, you need to maximize your opportunity. Um, we're both Giannis slash Bucks fans. And as a result, uh, them going really all in, in the same way. I I feel very strongly that um, a small market team like Milwaukee needs to maximize its output because, frankly, they've had two generational players 
One of them left, but at least won a title before he left. The other one, we're probably not getting another Giannis anytime soon. And it's very much the same way that you could think about the Green Bay Packers. Uh, I know that the league has constructed very well, and last night you made a comment about Allen Robinson going anywhere else, and I was trying to give you some shit, but there, it was hard to think of a team that isn't going to have at least a decent quarterback playing for it, at least somebody with some talent level or that's newer, that has some promise or some upside or something else, because even the few bad teams that we had, uh, got some upgrades at quarterback. Tua, Justin Herbert, and Joe Burrow have all been pretty good this year, uh, even in the limited uh, instances we've seen of Tua so far. So I guess part of this is to say that, and, and we'll wind it back so I'm not going off in a complete tangent, but when you have that window of opportunity and you really – think you can win it. I know you have one title under your belt, but you know, going for that second one really puts you at a certain level. It's aggressive. And I, I know there is at least one other owner that I'm regularly talking to that's um, quite tickled by the fact that you're mortgaging most of your future, as he put it, uh, in order for your short-term success. But I honestly don't look at it this that way. I know you've paid a heavy price in some regards, but the two major players that you use to upgrade are both younger and right. are yeah. already at their window of success. Right. And Your biggest problem is I can definitely see this happening, and I don't do this just to tease you, although it is somewhat funny to me, but Kyler Murray is going to end up on next year's cover of Madden, and so he's going to get next year's Madden curse. <laughs> um. That was the thing, too. With all the trades that I made, I did give up, you know, I gave up a first this year, or I mean for next year, and I gave up a first for the year after that. So for my next two drafts, I'm not going to have a first-round pick unless I make some trades. But I have Kyler Murray, who's, what, 23, 24 years old. And same with Miles Sanders. I think he's 24 years old as well. They don't have a lot of tread on their tires. So, yeah, I'm I'm looking to win, like, this year and, like, next year as well. And I'll deal with those other um drafts later because you look at I had the second pick overall and I took Jonathan Taylor you know and it's not guaranteed I would go back and I'd do it and I'd probably take DeAndre Swift or I would probably take J.K. Dobbins so yeah I'm going all in I know um King in the North is kind of is kind of smiling right now because I gave away a little bit of my future but I swapped a second you know so I'm gonna have two seconds um, it's really this next draft, this upcoming year, where I'm going to be hurt, and I don't really feel too bad about 2022. Honestly, there's no one way to build a team, and right now, in points-wise, you have the number one running back, the number one quarterback, and you have at least an above-average rest of the roster and depth and options at just about every position. So it puts you in a really good position to succeed. You haven't had many down weeks so far this season. You only have one loss so far on the entire year. So I, I really would look at it as a maximization of the opportunity. But, okay, you're not going to have a first-round pick in the next two drafts. You're not going to have a second-round pick next year. So you're literally going to be waiting until round three. But I know you, That's you're never going to sit completely on your hands either. <laughs> 
The difference, I think, though, is I think we have some owners who are a little bit different in their perspective that it's going to be harder to take advantage of in the way that some of us more astute owners have been able to in the past. And some of the reason of that is hopefully shows like ours that help educate people on the way of playing this. But I, I do think there are other ways to build a team. It's just You've built up the team at this point. Now it's winning time. Right, exactly. That's my point. And I do, and I want to give, tip my hat to Ed, like a hell of a negotiator. Um, I will give him shit, though, because the entire time I was negotiating with him, I was telling him the picks of what year they were, and he messed up the picks um, of what year they were. We We were able to figure it out, and it's all good. But, man, he was a hell of a negotiator, uh, I was trying to get Miles Sanders all year long, and it took till, you know, with a couple hours left in the trade deadline to do it, and he got a nice young little haul. So Ed's going to be a team that's going to be coming in the next couple of years. So I got to tip my hat to him for hell of a negotiation. Hey, um, do you want to tip your hat hand a little bit though on the conversation of Travis Kelsey, how, what you had with Akron Pros? So there were a couple of offerings. Um, one of the things we're going to be going over here in a second is the difference between where guys were drafted as their ADP and how they're actually sitting in actual scoring. And Travis Kelsey is 54 points ahead of the next highest guy on the list. Uh, George Kittle, who's missed four games on the season, is only tight end three by six points. It is a complete and utter wasteland. Yep. And so because it offers you such positional certainty where you're getting an advantage of somewhere around um, seven to eight points a game from one position, it allows you some freedom and flexibility in other areas. So you can demand a higher price. And I also said... And part of the reason I was discussing this with Dana as to how we wanted to do this, because I more or less acted as his trade liaison, was you can demand wide receiver one, almost running back one level value or, you know, multiple running back twos, because that sort of uh, consistency, he's not going away necessarily for another year or two. He's got a fairly large deal and Patrick Mahomes isn't going anywhere either. You would like to think that he's got a few years of decent value remaining on his dynasty league uh, prospects. Thus you can always go back in for him at a different time or deal him over the off season or something of that nature. If you're truly rebuilding, but the other questions you kind of have to ask yourself are, Based on where my standing is, because he was teetering on the knife edge of where the playoffs are sitting. So, uh, again, to pull back the curtain a little bit, uh, six out of ten members of our league make the playoffs. The two division winners end up getting the bye weeks. I've structured most of my leagues very similarly to that. If I, I think the question I basically asked was, do you feel that you could beat? Basically, you would have to in three consecutive weeks the top three teams in the league. If you think you have a legitimate shot at doing so, fine. But it also doesn't hurt to occasionally retreat. He's got Metcalf. He's got Calvin Ridley. He's got Mike Evans. He's got Robbie Anderson. uh, DeAndre Swift. DeAndre Swift. Damian Harris. Todd Gurley. 
Uh, he's got Josh Allen and Aaron Rodgers, who are the fifth and sixth highest scorers and points so far this season. So it's it's not like his team is that far off. I actually feel better about it now after the weekend than I did going into the weekend with him. Um, and I, I think he has a legitimate shot because you'd think that other than he could stream his quarterbacks, his top two quarterbacks and Allen and Aaron Rodgers, his top six positions are locked down. Metcalf, Ridley, Gurley, Swift, Kelsey. I mean, that's that's a formidable top six. And then you're talking about having so many options at flex right now with Damian Harris being as good as he was on Sunday night against Baltimore. He's not going to be in a position where if he's healthy, he can't really match up with people. And so maybe... I've always thought that sometimes it's an advantage to be about the fifth or sixth seed going into the playoffs in a redraft league. And I very rarely felt that way in a dynasty league. But you look at some of the teams that are hovering around that fourth, fifth, sixth seed area who have had a little bit more or have had a better waiver claim status, have been able to maneuver their roster a little bit more than some of the top heavy teams that are going to be uh, having less roster flexibility like yours and mine, they may be in a better suited position in this one instance where we've had so many injuries and our rosters are so bloated due to uh, the amount of injuries or COVID restrictions or bye weeks or whatever that they've been able to pick up some of these guys who are going to be two, three week starters that um, may end up helping you in a, a one week stint here or there during the playoffs. And that's why I've always felt the playoffs is kind of a crapshoot in that regard is you have so many guys that have such unusual games, guys that come out of nowhere and guys that completely fall flat on their face. And so it's just trying to minimize your risk level. You try and do it the best you can. With that in mind, let's move to our quick valuations. My buy low candidate of the week, Christian McCaffrey. I can't think of a time you could buy lower on Christian McCaffrey where he's still going to have some value. This is not to say, I mean, we saw one brief glimpse last week against Kansas City, and he had a huge game. I just cannot fathom a time where you're not buying at a lower position, even in Dynasty, and maybe get enough on your return that it's going to make it worth it. So I, I think if you're going to ever try and buy on him and maybe see if you can get somebody somebody who's been uh, waiting all year for him, especially in redraft, where we don't know what his timetable is going to be right now, maybe you want to take that risk. You're one of the fifth, sixth seeds getting into the playoffs and you just want to take that shot. Or maybe you're a top two seed and your position's already locked up for the playoffs so you can afford to trade away a big asset for the upside of what Christian McCaffrey might offer you later on. Now, I'm going to offer a bonus buy low candidate for this week, but this is a dynasty only. I saw enough out of Lamar Jackson on Sunday night to think that he's there and that they're still waiting to unlock him. He's not what he was last year right now, but there are ways of him ending up being close to the same player that he was moving forward next year on. And so if you can get in at a bargain basement floor level 
for a guy that uh, somebody else invested a lot of time and energy, I think now might be the time to do it. My sell-high candidate of the week was a guy that you asked me about during the Packer game on Sunday. It's James Robinson. And the simple fact is, do we have any certainty on what he's going to be next year? He has been excellent. I mean, outstanding. He is setting records all over the place as an undrafted rookie. Yeah, he's running back three right now. But the simple fact is, going into next season, do you really expect Jacksonville to only have him? Part of his uh, value has been that he has been the sole back in Jacksonville for this entire time. And as a result, do you really expect a team that, you know, where the league is trending towards a lot of these committees, not to draft multiple guys? That's not even to say that he's also been very healthy to this point. So I, I just, for an undrafted player, it's not a position where this has often happened, but I just don't see him having this volume level. And if you have the opportunity to trade him away to uh, a contender who's going to be basically buying him as a rental player, more or less, the opportunity's there. And you can demand he's at his highest selling point, as far as I can tell. His right. schedule's not that terrible down the stretch here. And you can maximize what you paid for him, which was basically nothing because nobody drafted him. Right. And I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like we're always like talking shit about James Robinson, because sometimes I feel that's what I'm doing, but I just, if you're a team and you're approaching the trade deadline and you're like a running back away and James Robinson is sitting there, what, what draft pick would you give up? Would you give up a first for him to make a run for this year in a dynasty league? Then knowing that you wouldn't have it for the next year, would you give up a first for him? I think I'd be teetering somewhere between a first or a second round pick, but that would be about it. I'm not trading a full asset, uh, a draft, like a actual player for him at this moment because there's so much certainty in, involving his next season. He could be completely unusable by uh, week one of next year. Yeah. We've seen these type of players all the time. And that's kind of where I'm at, too. I don't think I'd give a first for him. I think maybe I'd give a second, you know, to, to win this year. But I don't think I can convince myself to buy all the way in. And maybe I'm wrong. I hope I am wrong because I'd never want a guy to not have a great career. Um, but I, I'm just I'm not there on him. And then even watching the game, too, um, and watching every single step, that's the most I've ever watched James Robinson. I still couldn't convince myself, like, yeah, this is a guy that I want for the next five years. Again, part of his value has been his crazy amounts of volume because he's right. the only guy. He's the only guy there. Yeah, he's the only guy I there. I mean, you, you think of where they were at to begin the season. He was the third guy in that backfield. Then they cut Leonard Fournette, and then they had Reichwell Armstead, who's out for the year with COVID. He's never even come back. Damn. He's, well, he's had it multiple times. He's had lung issues. He's, I, he honestly may never play football again. Damn. Uh, and so all of a sudden it falls to this guy who they like, but was out of the middle of nowhere because there were people, I think even I picked up Reichwell Armstead for like a minute there. 
um, just trying to maximize the position. And then by the time it got to James Robinson, I'm like, dude, there's nobody that's going to be any good for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So from where he came out of, this is a complete shock. And he has been extraordinarily good. Mm-hmm. I cannot laud his performance enough. He is going to be, in for all intents and purposes, a sort of fantasy MVP to certain teams. If you bought on him early, and he's a top five running back right now in fantasy, he probably will end the year as such. From where you bought him as an undrafted guy in fantasy, let alone where Jacksonville got him, he could end up make or breaking your entire roster. But if you're thinking dynasty-wise and you're not in a position to win right now and you can maximize your return for a guy that you place very low investment on, man, there are so many guys that I would be trying to pick over the top of him. If you Uh could get a return of one of these other rookie running backs that are quote-unquote more talented, I think you would be kicking yourself not to have done so. I don't know. Running back has been such a wasteland this year as well, which we're going to get to here in a second. Before we do, uh, let's just get to the what I got wrong. So I'm going to start with some of these teams. This is such an every given Sunday year. You don't know what team is going to show up. Green Bay has uh, come out with some absolute stinkers multiple times this season. Baltimore, they look lethargic. Seattle, the last four or five weeks, have been crappy. They're turning the ball over terribly. Their defense looks even worse than it had been, and Russell Wilson's not able to carry them in the same way. And so I I think any of the teams that we've had some great working assumptions on that we've felt really strongly about, I think you need to reconsider where your head is at. There are only maybe four teams that I feel very strongly about, and even they have had some weird off weeks. It's not just me who I feel is wrong. I just think everybody in general is going to get one narrative on a team and then they're going to have this weird week and either it will undermine the complete narrative that they had or you're not going to know from week to week and maybe it was a uh, weird outlier. The other other couple, so I've been really heavy on Zach Moss the last couple of weeks, but we're going to get to this in a second. Is Buffalo going to... run the ball again they've been throwing constantly i i I just don't quite understand it that they're they're just not running the football and by extension zach moss is not produced so i apologize general fantasy audience for betting heavily on a guy that basically is not touching the football by the same extension i told somebody a couple of weeks ago to drop cole beasley and now he's being targeted double-digit times a game. And he was to a, for about four or five weeks early on in the season. And I apparently was wrong then. I continue to be wrong now. And if the Buffalo Bills continue to just constantly throw the football, you can basically guarantee that Cole Beasley is going to have double-digit targets. I think he had 11 catches this last weekend for over 100 yards, and he's just producing at a level that is extraordinary for a guy that you wouldn't necessarily think of on that team. So my last one, and it's somewhat of a uh, apology to mm-hmm. Ben because I jinxed him. So we were in our group thread on Sunday, 
and the Bills had just basically scored uh, the go-ahead touchdown. Uh, let's say that uh, New Hopkins had yet to really catch any major uh, pass all day. He had some decent yardage, but he had no touchdowns. And Kyler had a good game, but not great. And then that was shattered by the Hale Murray. Now, let's not be a prisoner of the moment. It is not the best Hail Mary to ever be thrown. Period. It's not even the best Hail Mary in that fucking stadium. Please, people. There was a guy. Hmm, you might have heard of him. Aaron Rodgers threw two consecutively in consecutive plays in a playoff game. And did it in the same way with pressure, rolling across his body and just chucking it into the air. Now, was it a really great play? Yes. Was it extraordinary? Absolutely. But I'm sorry, it's not the best one. But I'm sorry, Ben. I cursed you. Should Dynasty ended up pulling back into a uh, striking distance place and ended up winning the game. And uh, my apologies for cursing the earth for thinking that Dynasty had pretty much fallen out of it at that point. I should have known better that you wait until Kyler's done playing. All right, let's jump into our league roundup now. So basic scores, uh, as I alluded to a few moments ago, the uh, aforementioned Shadynasty wins 147.95 to 131.25 over King in the North, thus winning the divisional leaders matchup. Uh, King in the North drops to number three. He's now tied at 7-3 and three with Tom, Terrific, and Dynasty football team at 7-3. and three. Only separated on division record and points. Tom Terrific beats Dumpster Fire in comeback fashion, 135.5 to 90.55. That's despite Dumpster Fire having uh, a third of his points from one player, Ronald Jones. Akron Pros beats Ed Winners uh, to basically take over the last spot in the playoffs and put a stranglehold on that one going forward, 128.85 to 86.25. Dynasty football team earns another win yet again, 121.4 to 87 over Newboot Goofin, who is still in dead last. And finally, LDH loses this week to Rogers Rabbits, falling to 5-5 overall, but still comfortably in the fifth spot in the playoffs. Uh, Rogers Rabbits just slightly outside of that at 3-7. The final score in that one, 127.3 to 107.85. Let's just do a quick roundup. In first place, Shadynasty at 9 and 1. Number 2, Tom Terrific at 7 and 3. Number 3, King in the North at 7 and 3. Number 4, uh, Dynasty Football Team at 7 and 3. The previous Cops' Heroes. Number 5, LDH at 5 and 5. Number 6, Akron Pros. That rounds out our playoff rounded uh, marks. Uh, the four spots below it that are vying for basically the lottery at this point. Rogers Rabbits at three and seven, Ed Winners at three and seven, Dumpster Fire at three and seven, and Newboot Goofin at two and eight. All right, so let's move to our first game, Colts uh, and Titans. We recorded our last show before uh, this game, and uh, I think think I might have had the Colts winning this one. I had their defense and their kicker starting. Got me 27 points in my redraft league uh, between the two of them. 
Colts win this game 34-17 to on the road at the Titans. Frankly, this game flipped on a dime uh, after a very short, um, kind of crappy punt. And the Colts drive that one in for a touchdown quickly, end up getting another blocked punt for a touchdown, and this game got kind of out of control after that point. But Derrick Henry, 19 carries, 103 yards, another day at the office for him. The unfortunate part was A.J. Brown, four uh, targets, one catch, only 21 yards in this game. Obviously, we mentioned Corey Davis, and we've mentioned him a lot on this show, but uh, after the death of his brother, six targets, five catches, 57 yards. Not a terrible game, but altogether, the Titans just kind of uh, were lackluster, especially in the second half in this one. Some of the bigger stories, though, were out of the Colts. Uh, Michael Pittman Jr., seven uh, catches for 101 yards. He also added about 20-plus yards on the ground on a particular carry uh, in the second half. Naheem Hines touched the ball 17 total times for 115 total yards and two scores. And the Indy defense it continues to be the best in fantasy currently. Uh, so what are your projections, though, on uh, Naheem Hines and uh, Michael Pittman moving forward for the Colts? This has been an offense that's kind of underproduced so far. Do you see either of them having decent um, rest of the years? I mean, the Colts backfield, uh, I, we talked about it earlier, how I traded away part of the Colts backfield just because of the unpredictability of the whole thing. It means if Hines has the hot hand, then they're going to ride it. But if Wilkins does, they're going to ride him. So I guess play that one at your own risk. Uh, Michael Pittman Jr., though, we know how high I was on him throughout the entire summer, um, moving through the season as well. Um, I think he'd have bigger and more gaudier numbers if he wasn't dealing with the injuries that he was but um he's somebody special and especially if they can get a quarterback uh, next year because i don't think philip rivers is going to be the guy but i think he'll be successful with philip rivers because it reminds philip rivers of of vincent jackson a big bodied wide receiver that can go up and get the ball somebody that's very dependable so i like michael pittman jr a lot Yes, we're very well aware of how high you were on Michael Pittman Jr. during the summer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, is he on your team? He's not on my team. Nope. Oh, okay. How's Cam Akers doing? Just fine. <laughs> we're going to get to him in a second. Uh, I will say that the Titans have a really favorable fantasy playoff schedule uh, going forward. I don't have the teams listed here uh, in my notes, but I... I don't think that despite this game, and I know that they have another game with the Colts, uh, I think next week, not this weekend, I, the Colts are playing the Packers at home, but uh, the next week I think they have um, the Colts again. I would expect that not only are you starting the Colts defense just from here on out, but that like the Titans are are going to have a, another struggle uh, in that particular game when they're on the road in Indianapolis. But after that, once they get into the playoff rounds, I'm not worried about Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown really producing and, and giving me some fantasy value. And if you're in a um, redraft league, possibly Corey Davis or um, Ryan Tannehill, depending on what the matchups are going to be, I think they have some potential moving forward yet. So do not despair on that end just because of one bad game against clearly the best fantasy defense uh, in the NFL this year. 
The Jaguars nearly pull off the upset in Green Bay, 20-24. James Robinson, 23 carries for 109 yards. Excuse me, 23 touches for 109 yards. DJ Chark, five targets, four catches, 56 yards. Keelan Cole, the big uh, recipient of the game of the Packers' top two corners being out. Seven targets, five catches, 47 yards and a touchdown. Also had a punt return touchdown in this game. Aaron Jones, 13 carries, 46 yards on the ground. Six targets, five catches for 49 yards. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, six targets, four catches, 149 yards, and a touchdown, including a long bomb from Aaron Rodgers in the second quarter. Devontae Adams continues to be a target monster, 12 targets, eight catches, 66 yards, and a touchdown, including an acrobatic one to win the game. Aaron Rodgers, 325 passing yards, two touchdowns, one uh, questionable interception by him that he just never throws, and a rushing touchdown to which we didn't actually get the title belt celebration. I don't know what that uh, celebration exactly was, but maybe we'll have a nickname for it later. Uh, This was clearly a bad weather game. Green Bay looked rather soft. They uh, just have had an inability to really control the trenches most of the season, and anybody that can really out-physical them on both ends of the field has really been able to take it to them, or at least be in situations that they uh, have a good shot at beating the Packers. But I, if you basically have a running back at this point, it's been proven out. You're starting them against Green Bay, so DeAndre Swift's got a game coming up against them later on. Uh, I'd be curious about David Montgomery having a game against them later on. Derrick Henry has his play or championship game uh, week 16 against Green Bay. Christian McCaffrey's got a game against Green Bay coming up. Jonathan Taylor's playing Green Bay this weekend. Start your running backs. But the overall, we've kind of already discussed it, and I don't want to move past it yet, but... James Robinson for you. What do you see for him next season yet? We've talked about it a million times. I'm still, I'm I'm not there with him. And honestly, I don't know what I need to see from him for me to be there on him. I think he'll safely be in like a wide or wide receiver. I think he'll safely be in like a running back 15 spot um, safely. It's, I, I think the best thing to do, especially if you have him right now in Dynasty, if the trade uh, deadline is still open, I feel like you got to trade him for what you can because we've said it a million times. I just don't think your stock on him is going to be any higher than it is right now this year. I, I just don't think it will be. Uh, the only thing that could give me any real confidence in him next year is knowing what the Jaguars draft class for 2021 is going to be. That, that's literally it. All right, let's go to our third game. Texans at the Browns. They lose 7-10. to Bad weather game. Nick Chubb veers out of bounds at the end of a just long uh, busted out run uh, that clearly has been the talk of this game. It was a really ugly affair, but uh, overall, Nick Chubb's first game back, he and Kareem Hunt both go over 100 yards on the ground. Will Fuller, eight targets, five catches for 38 yards. Brandon Cooks, eight targets, six catches for 39 yards. The Texans' weeks uh, 13 through 15 are just brutal. Indianapolis, Chicago, and Indianapolis again in consecutive weeks, and that's during the uh, last week of the regular season and the first two weeks of the playoffs. However, for the Browns, their next five are Jacksonville, Tennessee, Baltimore, the Giants, and the Jets. 
if you have Nick Chubb or Kareem Hunt, or in some cases, like my redraft league, both, uh, you are just absolutely licking your chops after this one. Uh, so are you potentially excited for the Browns having two running back ones during the course of the end of this year? Yeah, I do, because I don't think they, I don't even think the Browns want to put the ball into Baker Mayfield's hand. Baker Mayfield is very up and down, but if you have two very solid running backs behind you, turn around and hand them the ball and just watch them go to work. And I think that's what Cleveland should do and continue to do if they want to keep being successful. They're going to have to be a physical team. They're trying to push for a playoff spot right now. I think they're seven and three. I don't know what their record is. Maybe they're seven and three. I don't know. It, it, that doesn't sound quite right, but either way, so may, oh, excuse me, six and three, six and three. So they're pushing for a playoff spot, and I think the only way they're going to get there is if they can basically out physical teams. They have some very exceptional talent in some very um, key spots along their offensive line, the two running backs, and then their pass rush, a defensive line. And if they can really push to uh, emphasize those strengths, they're going to be a very tough team to beat in some regards. I think their schedule sets up well for them to push for the playoffs. And uh, obviously, I think if Nick Chubb and uh, Kareem Hunt are both healthy, that this bodes well if uh, you were lucky enough to grab one of them uh, early on in the season and you've been able to hold on to them for this entire time. The Washington football team makes a valiant comeback on the road against the Lions, but ultimately loses to a game-winning field goal at the end by the one, Matt Prater. Alex Smith throws for 390 yards. Terry McLaurin, nine targets, seven catches for 95 yards. Antonio Gibson, 45 yards on the ground, two touchdowns, four catches for 20 yards. J.D. McKissick, a goal-line touchdown, but the big part of his game, 15 targets. Again, 15 targets, 7 catches, 43 yards uh, out of the backfield. But the big running back of the game, DeAndre Swift, 16 carries, 81 yards, by far his most touches uh, from the backfield this season, 5 catches, 68 yards, and a touchdown. Marvin Jones also has a big day instead of uh, Kenny Galladay, who still remains out. 10 targets, 8 catches, 96 yards and a touchdown. Matt Stafford, 276 yards passing and 3 touchdowns. Now, we've seen it now in two consecutive weeks that Alex Smith has thrown a lot, especially in garbage time. But can he be a valuable spot starter, especially going into the playoffs? Yeah, I think so, especially because he's done this before. This is nothing new for him, being a starter in the NFL. We know what he's capable of, and depending on matchup, yeah, I'd have no problem throwing him in um, and and starting for my team for a couple of weeks. Again, I think this is a matter of uh, some spot starting. He has some very good matchups coming up. He The next six for Washington are Cincinnati, Dallas, Pittsburgh, which you obviously don't like, but San Francisco, Seattle, and Carolina. Five out of those six games have to be you. You have to be out of your mind not to at least consider him if you don't have a regular lock it in quarterback one, or if you're dealing with an injury. I think he's a guy that uh, has clearly proven that he's going to raise the um, capital of all of your Washington players. So Terry McLaurin gets an upgrade. Uh, Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick, um, even to a certain extent, Logan Thomas are all guys that. 
um, need to be minimally owned going into these playoffs. And I think, especially in the case of like McKissick, Gibson, and McLaurin, that they're on the, if not already locked in as starters, probably Gibson and McLaurin. McKissick might be one of those flex plays that gets you one of these super weeks that ends up winning you a playoff matchup. Uh, as far as late pickups during the course of this year, are McKissick or uh, DeAndre Swift possibly the guys that you picked up midseason that end up winning your league for you? I'm not there with McKissick. Uh, he reminds me a little too much of Shane Vereen uh, back with the Patriots where he's just a lot of receptions and you can't depend on him to rush and get a lot of yards. So on games where he's not used very much in the passing game, you're pretty much shit out of luck. With DeAndre Swift, that one I absolutely think that he could be on a team that could win you a couple of playoff games. One, you really didn't expect him to be putting up these type of numbers right away, and he's now getting into the part of his career where they're feeding him more and more and more, and you see his percent of snaps and his percent of carries go up more and more and it's just going to keep going that way as the season goes on and that you can depend on I don't think you can depend on that with um with McKissick so I'm going to go DeAndre Swift but no not to JD I would tend to agree with you and I'm going to make this slight comparison Swift is doing what you expected Cam Akers to do with the Rams he's by sheer talent alone um proving that he's the best of the three guys that they have back there and separating himself from the pack to the point where it's obvious they have to continue to give him the ball because he's just that talented. All right, let's go to the Eagles at the Giants. Surprising game in this one. The Eagles lose on the road at the Giants, 17 to 27. Miles Sanders, 17 care or 17 total touches for 95 yards. Two vultured touchdowns though by Boston Scott and especially uh, Corey Clement. Dallas Goddard, six targets for four catches and 33 yards in a tight end wasteland yet again. Jalen Rager, though, uh, seven total targets, four catches, 47 yards. The bigger one, though, is Daniel Jones, who continues to uh, shape games for the Giants with his legs. 244 yards in the air, nine carries on the ground, 64 yards total, and a touchdown in this one. Sterling Shepard proving yet again that he is the top target for Daniel Jones. Six catches for 47 yards. Wayne Gallman with two uh, touchdowns in this game. Now, I'm going to point this out that there are quite a few, especially about a four-game stretch, here for the Eagles yet remaining. They still have Cleveland, Seattle, Green Bay, New Orleans, Arizona, then finish up with division games against Dallas and Washington to end the year. Uh, Can you get any fantasy relevance from either of these teams? Which of these, or uh, is anybody actually going to win the NFC East? And why would you want to at this point? Fantasy relevance, yeah. There's a lot of people on the on the Eagles that you can get fantasy relevance from. With Miles Sanders, I think he's one of the top backs in the league. With Jalen Rager and Fulgham, I think those guys are coming. It's the consistency that you don't like, but you do like the target share that Jalen Rager has been getting. But you also see, too, with um, Fulgham, how his share is going down because people are getting healthier. And he was a nice little story, but there was a reason why he was on practice squads and why he got cut for all that stuff. And we were talking about it, too, 
how we didn't think that he would be a super long-term option, but he would be serviceable. And I think we're, we're going to start to see that more as they get healthier. Um, I do think though, with all, all that being said, I think that the giants win the division. I think the giants win the v- division because they've honestly, they've looked the best out of everybody. I don't think you can trust Carson once yet. And, Going back, you're gonna people listening that have heard, you know heard me talking about Carson once before are gonna be like Ethan, what the fuck? You know you were super high on him. I have no idea what's going on with him this year. His team is not as injured as they were before, and yet he's still giving the ball away, making dumb decisions, and he just doesn't look like his his like he was his second year in the league before he had that really bad knee injury. Um, so. I don't think there's anybody on the Giants that I want. There's people on the Eagles that I most definitely want, but I do think that the Giants are going to win the division. And why wouldn't you want to win the division? I mean, yeah, a couple of draft picks and everything like that, but the division title is still a division title, at least for me. Because at the end of the day, the goal is to win the Super Bowl, not the division. I understand that. The the division title is on the way to doing that. But do you really think that any of these teams has a legitimate shot to win a playoff game? Really? Maybe the Giants do, but I personally, I think the Washington football team, based on their schedule, is the most likely to come out of this. Uh, The Dallas Cowboys still are trying to put things together, and while the Giants have played better, they have an even tougher game than the, or schedule remaining than the Eagles, and they're all a game and a half back. So... I think that they're all in this weird purgatory where they can't turn the page where um, they can start playing different guys because they have to somehow remain competitive because you can't really give Dwayne Haskins a, a, a better shot because they or the Washington football team somehow seems to think that they have a good shot at making the playoffs. So they're going to play the experienced veteran and they're not going to turn the page and give um, reps to a guy that clearly needs them but his confidence is shot. So I I think they're all in this odd purgatory moving forward for the rest of the year where, yeah, I guess it means something to win the division, but if you're going to be like 5-9-1 and one going into, or uh, I guess what would it be, 5-10-1 and one in the Eagles and moving into the playoffs, to me that just is, is kind of a weird situation where you're going to have this weird asterisk next to your name. We remember the seven and nine Seahawks as being one of the worst playoff teams. I mean, there are uh, examples in the NFL of 11 and five teams that didn't make the playoffs. So this is kind of a, an odd one for me. And I just, I, it's kind of going to your conversation of why would you want to be the eighth seed in the NBA playoffs? Per, like year after year, but the thing is with the NBA that's different with the with the NFL. I could tell you right now, before the NBA season even started, I could project what the seeding would each team would be, and I could be pretty damn close. For us to wow. do that for the NFL, you know, you we we have no fucking clue. So I I get what you're saying, I do, but at the same time, a division title is still a division title football it's one game one game that's all it is you know 60 minutes and it doesn't matter if you're the better team or not if you're better for 60 minutes that day you get to move on and also too i'm sure there's like contracted um incentives and all that other fun stuff too but i mean i get what you're saying i feel like there's 
both sides are 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 good, but me, I, I I'd want to win. So let's go on to the or Buccaneers at Panthers. The Buccaneers walk away at the end of this one, 46 to 23, and the score was not indicative of how close this game was, especially through about two and a half quarters. Uh, unfortunately, Teddy Bridgewater was hurt toward the end of the game. It sounds like he's going to be fine and going to play next week, but 136 passing yards, two touchdowns, one interceptions, one uh, or 16 carries, and one kind of like amazing touchdown run by him weaving through some bodies and stretching out for the goal line. But the big uh, story out of this one was Ronald Jones, 23 total touches, 192 yards, and one touchdown, including a 98-yard touchdown gallop that you've probably already seen by now. The Buccaneers also did a good job of spreading it around to their top four targets. Mike Evans, 11 targets, six catches, 77 yards, and a touchdown. Chris Godwin, six targets, 92 yards. Antonio Brown, eight catch or eight targets, seven catches, 69 yards. And uh, Rob Gronkowski, three targets, two catches, 51 yards, one long one, and one short one eventually for a touchdown. Mike Davis continues to underwhelm now in the stead of Christian McCaffrey. Seven carries, 32 yards, four catches for 12 yards. Uh, a pedestrian day for Robbie Anderson, six c- targets, four catches, 21 yards. And then the unusual um, every three weeks DJ Moore sighting, seven targets, four catches, 96 yards, and a touchdown. My question, though, we've seen flashes of Ronald Jones um, before as the primary guy. And I thought at one point during the year that he was a guy that could carry you to uh, legitimate like fantasy promised land, and especially during the course of the playoffs. Now, they gave him a lot of carries in this game, but there are the odd games where Leonard Fournette ends up leading this backfield. And we have an unusual rotation between the two of them as we kind of go along. So what do you believe about uh, Ronald Jones for the next roughly six weeks left of the fantasy season? I think he's going to end up being their primary running back. Because now you're starting to get into the playoffs, you need to be able to know the guys that you can you can depend on. And like I said earlier, he was a guy that was really starting to turn it on towards the end of last year. And I was super surprised and I'm still surprised that the Buccaneers have spent so much time revamping that running back room, drafting Kayshawn Vaughn and then going out and getting Leonard Fournette. I think Ronald Jones is a better running back. I really do. Um, so I think he'll he'll end up being the guy for these next couple of games that they have. He's clearly a different physique guy than when he played at USC. He was a much smaller guy. He's bulked up even in the course from last year to this year. And you can tell that the Buccaneers do not trust him in passing down situations. He is not a great uh, pass protector, and he is not a great receiver, even though he was at USC. So it's kind of surprising in that regard for me, especially with how he came out. Uh, you and I, I know we weren't doing the show back then. We're actually pretty high on him coming out of college. So this is a little bit of an unusual situation in that regard. So I do think it depends on game script. But I think to the Buccaneers' detriment, if they don't try and establish the run, particularly with Ronald Jones— that's usually a game where they're going to struggle. And when they stop trying to set the run, trying to be physical, control the line of scrimmage, 
I think it really um, is a disservice to the rest of their team. We saw it against the Saints where they got behind early, they had to start throwing, and they're just not the same team. And I think there are several teams like that that if you can really control the line of scrimmage, out-physical them, that they're a completely different team. Now, as far as the Panthers, they have at times been darlings of the fantasy season, but is there a reliable Panther left that you really would trust down the stretch here uh, to insert into your lineup with confidence? Week after week, I have no idea what to do with DJ Moore. And I have yet to start him, I believe, on one of his really, really good weeks. Um, It's tough. Uh, The up and down nature of the offense. And then we really don't know what the offense looks like when Christian McCaffrey comes back. So that's just going to add another twist to what has been such an unpredictable season with the Carolina Panther offense. As steady and as decent as Teddy Bridgewater has been, he has really killed the value of a DJ Moore with as well as he did last year with a Kyle Allen. So it's crazy. Um, But at the same time, DJ Moore is still only 23 years old. He's got a lot of good football left, and I don't think Teddy Bridgewater is going to be the quarterback for the next five to ten years. Probably not that long, but I think for the next two to three, he's going to be in there likely. I do think Christian McCaffrey definitely changes this team. We already saw the one game against the Chiefs, and the Chiefs don't have like a really porous defense. They're not on the level of like Seattle, where they have a really great offense and then a really terrible defense. But you saw already that Christian McCaffrey makes a huge difference in how that team operates and what amount of points that they can put up and kind of the attitude of the whole thing because your defense has to completely scheme around uh, a guy that's a transcendent talent. So I think if they were to get him back and Bridgewater remains um, at least upright in the, the standpoint of his current health, I don't know what his knee situation is and what he's going to be like for the next couple of weeks yet, but you would think that this offense may or may not change. The only difference being... I don't think I'm inserting any of these Panthers players until such time as McCaffrey would come back, and I've had at least one week to see what this offense can be with him in the lineup and where you can comfortably predict McCaffrey would stay in the lineup and healthy, which has not been the case most of this year. I think next year is a completely different wild card that we can uh, discuss in the offseason when you expect McCaffrey to be the lead bell cow in this backfield, but... Uh, at least for this season, I, I want McCaffrey back and a full week to have seen the production before I would have any confidence level. All right, let's go to Bengals at Steelers. Uh, the Bengals lose this one 36-10. Uh, Big Ben puts up 333 passing yards and four touchdowns through the air. Steelers running backs combined for 19 carries and only 44 yards on the ground. But the real big one for the Steelers was all of their wide receivers. As we mentioned on the podcast the last couple of weeks, there isn't really a wide receiver one for this Pittsburgh team. But Deontay Johnson, 11 targets, 6 catches, 116 yards, and a touchdown. Juju Smith-Schuster, 13 targets, 9 catches, 77 yards, and a touchdown. Chase Claypool, 10 targets, 4 catches, 56 yards, and 2 touchdowns. They spread it around a lot. I guess the if you were to take any other big takeaway from this game, 
It is T. Higgins, nine targets, seven catches, 115 yards, and a touchdown out of Joey Burrow's 213 yards passing and the one touchdown. So at this point, with the amount of consistency he's had over the last few weeks and the fact that uh, they've been able to remain relatively healthy, is T. Higgins a potential lock starter? Lock him in. Lock him in every single week. Uh, he's Joe Burrow's favorite target, and he's p- producing. I think he's had four to five consecutive weeks where he's been in double digits. So, yeah, I, I feel like he's a locked-in starter every single week. And on the same token, uh, given the amount of distribution and how well they've put up, let's look at the Pittsburgh remaining schedule. They have Jacksonville this weekend. Then they have Baltimore over Thanksgiving weekend. They have Washington, Buffalo, Cincinnati, and Indianapolis to end the fantasy season. They have one more game against Cleveland after that. But with probably four of those games decent matchups, including a second matchup against Cincinnati, who they just obviously uh, blew out, can you really afford to bench a Steelers wide receiver if they're all three healthy? Even knowing what they've all three been doing, even knowing that all three are healthy, I'm still starting one if I have one, uh, whether it be a flex or like, or the top wide receiver spot, because all, every single one of them has been producing in some way, shape, or form, no matter who's on the field. The Steelers are probably the best team in football right now. Uh, their offense is firing on all cylinders so yeah I, I, I there is no reason why I would want to sit any of those guys I, I think it's pretty much unless you have like an absolute stacked receiver class all three of these guys would be in your lineup pretty much on a weekly basis I really don't see any reason for them not to be they already had a decent game against Baltimore um, in the last couple of weeks and despite that being another matchup here soon That's not one that scares me. The one concern I would have is Indianapolis around that championship week, but I think we'll have a better understanding of where the Steelers are at. And as long as Ben Roethlisberger is standing in the backfield throwing passes, I think this team is incredibly effective. I like all of those four wide receivers moving forward as uh, fantasy viable um, and probably fantasy um, supremacy. Uh, Broncos lose on the road. Uh, to the Raiders, 37-12. to Derek Carr only threw for 154 yards in this one. Darren Waller with a um, rather pedestrian five targets, three catches, and 37 yards because realistically they didn't need to do anything other than hand the ball to whomever was behind Derek Carr. Josh Jacobs had 21 carries, 112 yards, two touchdowns, four catches for 24 yards. Devontae Booker, who, who also had a good week last week, uh, 16 carries, 81 yards, and two touchdowns in this one. Drew Locke continues to try and make these uh, heroic comebacks, but this week he threw more interceptions than touchdowns. 257 yards, passing one touchdown, four picks. Um, just having some uh, definite issues holding on to the football. Jerry Judy is not as near a beneficiary as he was last week. Eight catch or eight targets, four catches, 68 yards. Noah Fant. Seven targets, three catches, 18 yards. Is this the start, though, of the real comeback for Josh Jacobs? I know we've been hard on him up to this point that his numbers aren't as there, but if the Raiders start to resemble 
kind of what the Cleveland Browns have been, that run-first offense where he doesn't have to take 30 carries a game and he gets a little bit more rest, where you can kind of spell him a little bit with Devontae Booker. Can his efficiency numbers go up? I mean, yeah, that's the only thing we were worried about anyway was the efficiency. The points and the opportunity were all still there. Uh, He was still flirting with being the top 10, top 15 running back all year long. He was in that range. It was just his yards per carry were shit, and he wasn't really making the most out of all the opportunities that he had. But there's no one that's taking his spot anytime soon in that backfield. So, yeah, uh, I think we we see him more productive uh, as the rest of the year goes on. I mean, if he continues to uptick in the efficiency, and the one for me that uh, he's been a touchdown guy uh, most of the year, which has helped increase his value. He's had, a, uh, I think this is his third or fourth game with multiple touchdowns, which has helped him. But this is his second game over 100 yards rushing, and he got involved in the passing game again. So that's where his fantasy value really ticks up. And as a guy who owns a share of him in my redraft league, again, that league's got Chris Carson, Joe Mixon, uh, Josh Jacobs, Nick Chubb, and Kareem Hunt. I can't even start all five of those guys in a given week. It was weird that I ended up getting all five of them in in one way or another. But uh, it's kind of exciting for me to have all of these guys back and healthy and doing some uh, good things. Is there a pass catcher in Denver worth having, though, given the amount of garbage time that they're clearly producing? I don't think I'm starting Drew Locke, but they are producing these comebacks every fourth quarter, every single week. And with the amount of garbage time, they're starting to remind me of that one year that Blake Bortles had a huge year because he kept uh, having these garbage time points. Can we see any of these guys being fantasy viable down the stretch for anyone? I think Jerry Judy's getting to that point. I think he's somebody that you think about starting every single week. Uh, we all, all know how high I've been on him since the summer. Um, I think he was my wide receiver one or wide receiver two. It was between him and CeeDee Lamb. But I know I had him way ahead of Henry Ruggs. And I know I was talking about him eventually taking over uh, the wide receiver room, uh, not knowing that Cortland Sutton was going to get hurt. Um, I think Jerry Judy is an exceptional talent. Um, he's already one of the top route runners in the league. He gets open almost every time he takes off from the line of scrimmage. So, yeah, Jerry Judy is somebody I'm watching for sure that I can think can benefit from all the garbage time opportunities that he's going to have to face. I think he might be one of the few consistent guys. I think it upgrades Melvin Gordon in comparison to Philip Lindsay. That's been a point of consternation for some of the fantasy gurus over the last couple of weeks, which one's going to separate themselves. But if they're going to be in passing down situations and garbage time, uh, Melvin Gordon has been the predominant pass catching back. So you'd have to probably give him a little bit more of the edge on that one. And you'd like to say Noah Fant, but right now he's so banged up that it's really difficult to give him um, the same level of credence that we were earlier in the season where he was just eating up targets all over the place. And uh, he was quite clearly one of the top 10 tight ends. Right now, if he's going to put up stat lines like that, where he's not even getting 20 total yards uh, for the game, it's really going to be hard not to um, possibly swap him out where there's a guy who's in a little bit better matchup or a different situation. I just, he's a tough one to kind of figure out. 
Let's go Chargers at Dolphins. Uh, this one, the throwback uniforms were excellent. Uh, the Chargers lose at the Dolphins, however, 29-21. to Justin Herbert has probably his worst game of the season so far. 187 yards, two touchdowns, one pick, four carries, 10 yards, and one touchdown. Uh, Hunter Henry returns to the land of the living among tight ends. Six catches or six targets, four catches, 30 yards, and a touchdown. Keenan Allen, unfortunately, has probably his worst game since Justin Herbert has been the starter. Seven catches, or excuse me, seven targets, three catches, 39 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, Mike Williams also having a down day. Five total targets, two catches, 38 yards. But Kalen Balaj, 23 total touches, 102 total yards uh, from scrimmage in this game. Josh Kelly giving way completely, especially now with uh, Justin Jackson and uh, Austin Eckler still out. He only has seven total touches for 21 yards. Tua Tagovailoa, 169 yards passing, two touchdowns. Didn't really need to do a lot. He was dealing again with short fields. That defense has become rather dominant. Devontae Parker, seven targets, two catches, 31 yards, including a cold back touchdown where he made an extraordinary catch, but unfortunately was out of bounds. Jakeem Grant, the beneficiary of Preston Williams being out for this game, five targets, four catches, 43 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, The one weird bright spot of this game, given that Miles Gaskin is out and that they scratched Jordan Howard just before the game, Savan Ahmad or Ahmed, excuse me, 21 carries, 85 yards, and a touchdown. So my first question, though, we have two guys that you were basically picking up off the scrap heap. What are your projections going forward for the next few weeks of Kalen Balaj and Savan Ahmed? Well, last I heard, Balaj was going back on the practice squad, so I didn't even really know that he was playing and Ahmed, honestly, I don't know much about, so maybe this is a better one for you to answer. So Gaskin is likely to be out for a few more weeks. He's a guy that apparently they really like. He got clearly the sole amount of volume. I like him in a two- to three-week window, so he's much better for a redraft situation. But if you have some roster flexibility for Dynasty, he could be a guy that you could spot start and uh, start comfortably given the amount of volume that the Dolphins are clearly going to feature among some of their running backs. Balage, I think you were right that he was likely to go back on the practice squad, but I think it has more to do with what Jackson or Justin Jackson's situation was going to be. They've now put him on IR and whether Austin Eckler was going to come back. And right now it doesn't look like either of those guys is going to be, um, able to play so for the short-term viability i still think Pelage is a um good pull given that the chargers are a good offense and clearly want to establish the run he's a big physical back who they're getting the ball to in a lot of different ways he hasn't gotten uh, a lot of goal line touches again justin herbert kind of got a quarterback sneak walk-in touchdown it was kind of a weird play on the goal line on like a fourth and one play so I don't know uh, if he's going to vulture you a whole lot of touchdowns but this is a guy at least worth some flex consideration until such time as Austin Eckler would be coming back all right let's go to the game of the week the Hale Murray so was my game of the week yeah uh, Bills lose on the road to the Cardinals, 30-32. to Kylan Murray, 245 yards passing, one touchdown, one interception. That really wasn't his fault. It was Larry Fitzgerald's. 
11 carries, 61 yards, two touchdowns. Kenyon Drake, surprisingly, 16 carries and 100 yards. When was the last time you could say that? Chase Edmonds, 8 carries, 56 yards, 3 catches, 21 yards. Nuke, 12 targets, 7 catches, 127 yards, and that touchdown to end the game, uh, essentially. I think it was with 2 seconds left, so it may not have, but for all intents and purposes. Josh Allen, however, 284 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Uh, the Cardinals kept giving them chances to come back in this one. Seven carries, 38 yards rushing. Cole Beasley, who we talked about earlier in the show, 13 targets, 11 catches, 109 yards and a, tar- a touchdown. Stephon Diggs with the touchdown that we thought was going to win the game, 11 total targets, 10 catches, 93 yards. Uh, I've kind of already asked, but will the Bills ever run the football again? I mean, if they're passing the way that they are, I don't know why you would, right? I don't know either. I You clearly downgrade any uh, advantage that you may have been looking for in Bill's running backs moving forward, but they're clearly better when they just constantly throw the ball. Uh, and why move away from it at this point? You're, you're, it's winning time. Here's the bigger question, though. I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment, but do you remember the conversations we had about Russell Wilson as the MVP earlier on in the season? And the fact that he was almost single-handedly winning games for his team, he was putting them completely on his back. I'm going to ask this question in all seriousness and hope it's not a prisoner of the moment situation. Is Kyler Murray the NFL MVP? You know, I... Wanted to say no because I didn't want to be a prisoner at the moment, but I'm sitting here and I'm looking at his stats and I'm going to go, absolutely, I think he is. Because if Lamar Jackson can win the MVP for the year that he had last year, then why can't Kyler Murray? Kyler Murray right now is the eighth. Every For everybody that is in the entire football league, he is the eighth leading rusher. He has 604 yards rushing and he is number two for rushing touchdowns he has 10 so then you go to passing not as great and i was even talking about it earlier in the year you know how he's kind of not really a one-trick pony but his passing was towards the bottom half of the year he has since improved that i think he's sitting at i think number 12 to 15 or so in the league in passing yards and then in touchdowns he's sitting I would say between 12 and 15 again in touchdowns as well. Actually, no, he may be closer to 10, but he's got 17 touchdowns tied with Matt Stafford, Kirk Cousins, um, just two behind Justin Herbert, and then the leader, Russell Wilson, has 28. So, I mean, he's 11 behind the leader. But total touchdown-wise, he's sitting at, you know, 27, 27 touchdowns. Uh, so, yeah, I, I absolutely think that Kyler Murray should be considered for MVP. I'm not even going so far as considered. So you think about it, and we talked about it a little bit last week. Patrick Mahomes is exceptional to what his team does. You can make an argument because we saw what the Steelers were without Ben Roethlisberger, and clearly that they're a juggernaut with him, that that's a different thing. But I go back to, do you remember that MVP season that Adrian Peterson had where, especially over the second half of the season, he just absolutely uh, 
tore defenses apart, and he was getting several of these 200-yard games, and he single-handedly put an entire team on his back and said, we're going to the playoffs because I'm taking you there. To me, that's what an MVP level is. And right now, the Cardinals, in multiple games that they probably should have lost, like Cliff Kingsbury is a terrible play caller. You start to look at any of the analysts that actually are worth their salt, and they all cannot stand the Cardinal play calling. But it doesn't matter because Kyler is just ridiculous and magical, and he's just having this weird season where he's able to do so many things off script and create and single-handedly win his team games they have no business being in. They're currently winning their division after he... Uh, wins that weird overtime game against Seattle and then wins this Hail Mary game or Hail Murray, if you will, uh, against the Bills. I don't want to be the prisoner of the moment, but right now I think for what he has accomplished, you know, he's at least on an equal footing from a stats level and the fact that he has put his entire team on his back and won them games they didn't deserve to be uh, a part of. I think right now I would say he's the MVP. It's going to be a different conversation six, seven weeks from now when we're done with this thing yet. But right now, he is my front runner. All right, let's go to uh, the Rams-Seahawks uh, game. The Rams win this one 23-16 over the Seahawks. And realistically, the Seahawks weren't even in it that much until like the very end where they scored a late touchdown to at least pull it within uh, seven. But the Rams' defense was absolutely dominant in this game. Russell Wilson again throws another couple of interceptions, 248 yards passing, no touchdowns, eight carries for 60 yards, uh, at least is putting up some decent fantasy stats, even if the rest of his team did not in this game. Uh, Alex Collins comes out of retirement, basically, um, off of the fish market uh, streets, 11 carries, 43 yards and a touchdown. Tyler Lockett, nine targets, five catches, 65 yards, although he's apparently banged up and may or may not be available for the Seahawks on Thursday night. DK Metcalf, four uh, targets for two catches and 28 yards. Jared Goff throws for 302, but no touchdowns. Josh Reynolds, 10 targets. Eight catches, 94 yards. Cooper Cup, seven targets, five catches, 50 yards. Robert Woods, six targets, five catches, 33 yards. Again, they distribute it like they do uh, among their running backs. Among these three, Cam Akers had 10 total touches of the football in one capacity or another. Malcolm Brown had eight. Darrell Henderson had eight. Henderson got a goal line carry. Malcolm Brown got two. Each of them got touchdowns on their carries. At this point, though, Akers is continuing to tick up with the amount of times that he's touching the ball. And for a uh, coach that has been completely honest with us most of the year as to who's going to be doing what, save for um, getting Cam Akers involved that one week after he said that he would get him involved, you have to assume that when he says we're going to focus more on getting Cam Akers the ball, that by the time the playoffs hit, he may be the number one running back in this backfield but for fantasy purposes who do you still think paces the rams backfield and does it matter i i i still don't know i really don't but it makes me feel good that cam Akers is starting to get some more carries you we all know how high i was on him i thought he would own this backfield by this point in time but sean mcveigh has been you're right he's been absolutely a hundred and ten percent 
truthful about the situation and every single one of them is getting equal carries. So I think, and you think as well, that Cam Akers is obviously the more talented back out of all of them, but I'm still not putting any money on who I think is going to come out of there. Well, I think it would be foolhardy. For fantasy purposes, at least for the end of this year, I doubt any one of them is going to get enough that they're going to end up being the lead back and thus uh, fantasy relevant because you'd just be throwing a dart at a dartboard. Provided, like, one or multiple of these guys doesn't get hurt. If that happens, then this backfield will obviously swing in a, a very hard direction towards one or another of these guys, depending on who's healthy or not. But it's not a situation that right now, with all three of them, that I'm feeling any bit of confidence in. But this is a situation that could really pan itself out in the playoffs. I could see one of these guys ending up getting 20 touches in the playoffs and thus cementing their definition or their role uh, moving into next season. Now, the Seahawks, however, have lost three of four. They have completely fallen off. Are they capable of recovering from their slide, not just at real football, but fantasy-wise? Their defense is shit. Uh, we've talked about that a million times. They're going to go as Russ goes. So it's going to get colder, which is going to make it harder for a quarterback. So I think we're going to see the real Seattle Seahawks these next couple of games. Their offensive line hasn't been great. They're not healthy at running back. Basically, after Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde went down, they've been having some real struggles on that end of the ball. Tyler Lockett's banged up, and their defense is not special in any regard. So I don't think that they're talented enough, and if they win at all, it's going to be because Russell Wilson is an absolute magician. Again, I think we mentioned it at one point or another during the season that he's kind of in that phase of what Aaron Rodgers was about three or four years ago, where your contract becomes so big and the other guys that were uh, with you early on in your career when you won a Super Bowl uh, got too high that either they... Uh, retired or left or you know something or another and people chase the money so now you're talent um devoid as opposed to talent rich when you were earlier in your career and it's clearly showing up and so now you're relied on because your contract number is huge to be the guy that wins everything for that team and it's going to weigh on him completely all right let's move to uh the 49ers and the saints the 49ers were up 10-0 early in this game, and I thought this might be a weird harbinger of things to come. But the Saints end up pulling this one out, 27-13. to Drew Brees, unfortunately, though, um, apparently he had fractured ribs from against Tampa Bay last week, and they went unnoticed due to his discomfort with his throwing shoulder. He gets absolutely smashed during the middle of this game and further fractures his ribs. Uh, eventually leading to a collapsed lung during the course of this game. Uh, an absolutely scary thing, but apparently he's recovering all right. We're going to get some Jameis Winston the next couple of weeks. The 49ers continue to have uh, injury concerns. Jermichael Hasty leaves hurt. Uh, it is thought that Tevin Coleman and uh, Raheem Mostert may be back as soon as this week even, but Ultimately, the 49ers are having to throw a lot of garbage time. The beneficiaries in this one were Brandon Ayuk and Jordan Reed. Ayuk, 14 uh, total targets, 7 catches, 75 yards, and a touchdown. Jordan Reed, 6 uh, targets, 5 catches, 62 yards. Alvin Kamara just continues to have an enormous season. 8 carries for 15 yards, but 2 goal line touchdowns. 7 catches, 83 yards, and a touchdown. 
Michael Thomas underwhelms again. Seven targets, two catches, 27 yards. And uh, Emmanuel Sanders is just having an incredibly down year. One target, one catch, five yards coming back off of the COVID list. Are there any good, comfortable Saints worth starting beyond Alvin Kamara right now? I mean, if you have Michael Thomas and he's active, uh, yeah, he's somebody that you're still going to start because, I'm one, I'm a firm believer and you start your studs. Jameis Winston was on a lot of championship teams, fantasy teams last year. So we know that he can play the position, he can get the ball, and he likes to push the ball down the field. Um, so maybe we'll see a different type of Michael Thomas, but he, he's most definitely somebody that I'm going to look to start. And I also think you hold on to Emmanuel Sanders in what, as well, because like I said, Jameis Winston likes to push the ball down the field. So see if he becomes relevant towards uh, the end of the year. But I don't think losing Drew Brees, uh, you lose hope for the rest of your guys. No, this is exactly why they invested in Jameis Winston, and they're still going to use Taysom Hill to a certain regard. So if you're in ESPN leagues, currently they're treating Taysom Hill as a tight end for the week. Um, That might give you an advantage in the tight end wasteland that it is. But um, given the Saints' upcoming schedule in Atlanta, Denver, Atlanta again, Philadelphia, Kansas City, and Minnesota, you have to at least uh, feel good about Michael Thomas possibly having the opportunity Um, to improve on his numbers as they go forward and he gets more work into the offense. I know he's had a really bad season so far, but it's not any schedule that would be uh, all that concerning as far as I'm concerned. All right, let's move to the probably the most stunning game of the weekend, however. Uh, The Ravens lose at the Patriots in an absolute downpour. I legitimately could not see the field on the last drive. Uh, the Patriots end up winning this game 23-17 to at home. Lamar Jackson, 249 yards, passing two touchdowns, one interception, five, uh, or excuse me, 11 carries for 55 yards in this one. Gus Edwards is surprisingly the most effective back. J.K. Dobbins was terrible. Mark Andrews, nine targets for seven catches and 61 yards. He was tight end number one this weekend. Uh, Willie Sneed, though, seven targets, five catches, 64 yards, and two touchdowns. Cam uh, ended up having a rather so-so game. He only threw for the one touchdown. The other one uh, was thrown by Jacoby Myers, who is a uh, former quarterback in college. He is now a converted wide receiver. 118 yards passing, though, one touchdown, 21 yards rushing, and another touchdown for Cam. Damian Harris, 22 carries, 121 yards. Rex Burkhead is also continuing to be a thing. Six carries, 31 yards on the ground. Four catches, 35 yards, and two touchdowns through the air. In addition to the touchdown that he threw, Jacoby Myers also had seven targets for five catches and 59 yards. I truly think that he is the next Julian Edelman. The Patriots' remaining schedule is currently Houston, Arizona, the Chargers, the Rams, Miami, and Buffalo. Baltimore's remaining schedule, Tennessee, Pittsburgh, Dallas, Cleveland, Jacksonville, and the Giants. So with those schedules, uh, would you think that uh, Damian Harris, Rex Burkhead, or Jacoby Myers are worth at least stashing, if not starting, going forward? I, I am not. Even before the clusterfuck that is the New England Patriots, I don't like having Patriots players through the my history of playing fantasy football 
Um, very, very rarely do I have a Patriot on my team just because they're so unpredictable. Um, I can see stashing like a Damian Harris and maybe a Myers. Rex Burkhead, no, we do. I feel like we do this song and dance with him at least once every single year. But I, my, me, myself, I am not in on any of these guys. All right. Let's move to the next set, though. How many players would you be starting ahead of Lamar Jackson or Mark Andrews at their given positions? For Lamar Jackson, I feel like there's there's a handful of them. He's for sure regressed for what he was last year. With Mark Andrews, it has nothing to do with him. It just has everything to do with the position that he plays. There's only like two people at that position right now that I'm dying to have, and that's Travis Kelsey or George Kittle. Everyone else is kind of the same. Uh, you really just throw a couple of them at the wall and see which one sticks. So I understand Mark Andrews is super young, but he goes as Lamar Jackson goes, and Lamar Jackson is just not a proven enough passer for me um, to go crazy for a Mark Andrews. He was thought of as one of the premier, quote-unquote, tight ends to be in the year. And I thought, I kept labeling him as touchdown dependent. And to a certain extent, he has been through the course of most of this season. So I don't think there are many guys that I'm putting ahead of him because Kittle's going to be on the shelf through the end of the regular season, it looks like, at this point. They just put him on IR today. Um, But Travis Kelsey is clearly above him. And after that... Who knows? It's a crapshoot at tight end. I would probably say I'd be starting reliably Darren Waller ahead of him, but that's about it. As far as Lamar Jackson, he is not in the top 10 of quarterbacks right now. His running stats are not high enough uh, from a touchdown basis or just total volume of rushing yards basis to really give you uh, a sense that his value is going to increase. And as such, I think he's not even a quarterback one right now consideration, which is sad given where he was at the beginning of the year and coming off of last year. Uh, Let's move to our Monday night football game, however. The Vikings visit the Bears and come out with a win 19-13. Unfortunately, Nick Foles is carted off with a leg-hip injury. Mitchell Trubisky already hurt his shoulder a couple of weeks ago as seeing a specialist. So Tyler Brady, or... uh, Bray. Bray. Tyler Bray is going to be uh, in possibly at quarterback. Now, the Bears have a bye week this week, so maybe they'll be able to get healthy, but we don't know the extent of either of their quarterback injuries right now. As uh, a team that has the Bears twice yet for the rest of the regular season, I'm okay as a Packer fan watching Tyler Bray be quarterback of the Chicago Bears. That being said, Dalvin! 30 carries, 96 yards, 4 catches, 16 yards. If this is an off week for him, it ain't a bad off week. Justin Jefferson, 10 targets, 8 catches, 135 yards. Adam Thielen, 7 targets, 4 catches, 43 yards, and 2 touchdowns in his uh, big return as well. The only bear of any relevance outside of Cordero Patterson, if he gets a kickoff return touchdown, is Allen Robinson yet again. Nine targets, six catches, 43 yards. He's clearly being bracketed because he's the only um, talented player on the Bears at this point. Can he even be valuable at this point if Tyler Bray is the quarterback? Okay, let's. I did a little digging 
on Alan. As Robinson. you would, given you're the Alan Robinson owner. I have been banging my table, banging the table for how good I believe Allen Robinson is, right? Yes. So for so the last four games, this is my free Allen Robinson rant. Over the last four games, Allen Robinson has seen one red zone target. Over the last five games, Allen Robinson has seen one end zone target. That blow that in itself blows my mind. So then I did a little more. Chicago as a team, they're 24% under the league average for fantasy points per pass attempt. So even if Chicago was up at league average and you bumped up Allen Robinson's stats up 24%, he would be wide receiver number four right now. He would be ahead of people like DK Metcalf. Get Allen Robinson the hell out of Chicago, for the love of God. His contract is up. It would be a major slap in the face if they were to franchise tag him. If I'm him, I cannot wait to pack my bags and get the hell out of Chicago. So he he accepted, I think, a four-year $75 million deal from the Bears. My dad maintains that he got the exact same uh, monetary offer from the Green Bay Packers. I think so it was in that range. To go it was there. in that range. Yeah, you're right. And it, it it was in that range. I know he did get an offer from the Packers, and he chose to go to Chicago. What the actual fuck? <laughs> like, I don't know what you're thinking. So, can I? Do I think that Allen Robinson can be uh, valuable with Tyler Bray? Yes, because he's been valuable with Nick Foles. He's been valuable with Mr. Trubisky. That being said, I'm not looking. I, I don't know if I can like keep plugging him into my starting lineup, you know, because he has had bigger games and then he has had smaller games. But for the most part, he does hover around his average. And they started giving him the ball early, quickly. And I was like, all right, sweet. They're starting to figure it out. New play caller. He wants to give him to Allen Robinson early. And then all of a sudden, there was just no more Allen Robinson. And I, I don't understand. You even went to Anthony Miller on a fourth down, a big fourth down play. And Allen Robinson doesn't drop passes. He doesn't drop them. And they went to Anthony Miller. Chicago, what the fuck? Like, seriously, figure it the hell out. This that is, is some my criminal that's my negligence, play calling, offensive, creative work, basically anything. He has been barely fantasy relevant with Nick Foles the last couple of weeks and teams just basically trying to take him out of the game. Mm-hmm. And you're telling me that a guy who's clearly much less talented than even Nick Foles, who's like a mediocre starter at best uh, in the NFL Boy, I just, I'd have a hard time starting him. Obviously, you're holding on to him in Dynasty. Do not cut him <laughs> until he ends up on the Jets. But, you know, the, for the rest of the season, it's going to be really hard to stop him if they're going to have both of their regular fantasy quarterbacks. And, I like, Trubisky's not that much better. But at least it's a little bit of different arm talent that you'd have to yeah, prepare. I, I don't know. I don't know. It, and as a as an Allen Robinson owner, I think I want Mitch back. I really do. I think I want Mitch back. 
I don't know who the next Bears coach is going to be, but Matt Nagy and Matt Patricia, if they're in their jobs next season, I am absolutely applauding that as a Packer fan. I just am. Good God. (laughs) Anyway, all right. So the last question I have for the week, though, if teams are focused so much on stopping Dalvin, and again, the Chicago defense did a decent enough job that he didn't even break 100 yards with uh, 30-some carries in this game. Is this the type of game that we can expect from the Vikings offense that both Jefferson and Thielen are, you know, at least decently viable if uh, Dalvin's going to see a huge volume but isn't necessarily going to be as efficient? I really don't even think this is this was a team focusing on stopping Dalvin. I can guarantee you that Dalvin Cook is the first and probably last name on every single team's scouting report going into the week. Um, what this is is Bears' run defense being really, really good, with Akeem Hicks being really, really good. Um, Dalvin Cook, in his career against Chicago, is under four, four yards a carry. I think he's hovering around like 3.2 or 3.5. So nothing crazy, but nothing amazing either. And then you saw also Akeem Hicks went out. And that's when Dalvin Cook started getting bigger chunks of yardage. So I really think this is more of a Bears thing than it is uh, a team focusing on stopping Dalvin because everyone's trying to stop Dalvin. But I do think on the on the outside of that, yes, you're going to see more production than out of the Justin Jeffersons and the Adam Thielens because you can work your play action off of that even a little bit more. So, yeah, I think you can you can expect wide, the, the wide receivers to have bigger games against better run defenses. The target share for these two wide receivers is enormous in comparison to the rest of everything that's going on with that offense. It's just been that they've been able to feature Dalvin so much because he's had these enormous games against two really bad run defenses in Green Bay and Detroit. So even if you get a reasonable uptick where his efficiency levels go down, where, you know, they're in third and five instead of third and one, you're obviously going to be featuring your receivers a little bit more often. And Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson are above average receivers right now. So I would expect if you get teams or uh, committing a little bit more into the box that, Um, This is good for the potential playoff prospects of both Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson. And whomever might own them is a little bit happier after last night than they were uh, the day before. Thank you to everyone for listening. We will be back again later this week to break everything down for you. Until then. Wear a mask, everyone, and we'll talk to you later this week. This podcast was mixed, produced, and edited by Thomas Duncan. It is a production of Ronnie Duncan Studios. Our technical provider and distributor is Anchor FM.